chapter 12, if you want to be turning there. Um, thank you. As you turn there, I just want to say thank you for um, having me for the privilege of getting to come and um, open God's Word together as we um, study the book of Luke. Um, it is, I mean, it's, it is really fun and uniquely um, special to get to come and preach in, um, in a church that I haven't been to before and to, I've gotten to meet a few of y'all and, um, and then just to, to open God's Word with another slice of the body of Christ and, um, and see what He has to say to us this morning. So we're going to be in Luke's Gospel, um, chapter 12. At this point in Luke's Gospel, um, Jesus has set his face. Um, he, is, he is on his way to Jerusalem. Okay, So he's been up kind of north, and now he's traveling back to Jerusalem and has set his face on um, to head to Jerusalem knowing what he has to do, um, knowing that he is headed to the cross, um, but he is, he is determined to do it. And as he walks to Jerusalem, he's continuing to teach his disciples, um, to teach those, the crowds that are following him. And these couple of verses, um, this little section that, that we're going to be reading, is tucked into a longer section of teaching about anxiety and about fear, what we should and shouldn't be afraid of. And so this morning, that's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at the idea of fear and what does God have to say to us in the midst of fear. We are always meant to come to God's word ready and expectant for him to speak to us. And so um, with that expectation, let's read um, this word from our Lord. Um, Luke 12, 32 through 34. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief, um, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Now let's go to him in prayer and ask him to bless this time in his word. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, you have promised that when your word goes forth, that it will not return to you void. And so, Father, we ask that you would speak to us now. Father, do not let this word of yours go forth void. Use it to, um, use it to grow us, to make us, renew us in the image of Christ, to teach us about your love and um, your goodness. Father, and uh, we, we ask that you would open the eyes of our hearts, um, open our ears to hear what you have to say. Amen. I have heard, um, I've heard it said before um, that the most frequent command in the Bible is what we see right at the beginning of our text this morning, fear not. Uh, I couldn't find any, any definite stats on that, but if you do a quick um, Google search, it, that, it seems to be that the dominant opinion is that the most frequent command in the Bible is, in fact, some um, the various versions of do not be afraid, fear not. At the very least, uh, and we are told upwards of 70 times in Scripture not to fear, and if you, if you look at all of Jesus' commands, roughly one-fifth of them 
um, that we find in the Gospels are some version of do not be afraid. This command shows up a lot in the Bible and in some very prominent places as well. Isaiah 43, God comforts his exiled people with these words, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. Joshua 1, as Israel is about to enter the promised land, God tells Joshua, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Even the Psalms, especially the Psalms, display this sentiment. Um, so Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. There's only one reason that I can think of why God would tell us so many times. He understands that we live in a world that is fear-inducing, and that we have hearts that are prone to anxiety and fear. We encounter a lot of uncertainty in life where we don't know what's coming around the corner. Or sometimes we think we do know what's around the corner, what's in our future, and we don't like what we see. Um, And that is a recipe for fear and anxiety. Whether it's the fear of the monster in your closet or the fear of um, being alone for the rest of your life, or the fear of losing your job, all of us experience fear. And it's into that fear that Jesus says these words, Fear not, little flock. Uh, recently, uh, the question came up in our house. Uh, my wife and I were having you know, a little friendly debate uh, whether, whether fear... Is, is a sin, right? It, so Jesus gives us this command. He says, fear not. But is it sinful then to experience fear? Um, does that mean that it's, because Jesus commands it, does that mean it's wrong to fear? And the answer is probably sometimes, right? If, if it's coming out of, out of um, a failure to believe God's promises, a lack of trust in him, that certainly is sinful. Um, while we're commanded not to fear, the command this command is never given in such a way as to be a burden, right? So here, Jesus is not giving us something else to do specifically. He just wants us to remember what is true. And as we remember what is true, to find comfort in that. And it is in that spirit this morning that Jesus says to us, fear not. Which is what we really want when we're afraid, right? We want someone who can come to us, who can speak comfort into those fears. Right, real comfort, not just who can can spout off some platitudes or or tell us everything's going to be okay when we, maybe we know it's not going to be okay. What we want is someone who can come and who can bring us real comfort. And as we study this passage today, I want to make the case for why you should listen to Jesus' voice when he tells you to fear not. As we are overwhelmed by fear and listen for a voice to provide real comfort in the midst of it, we have two reasons to trust Jesus' voice, as he tells us to fear not. The first reason is that Jesus understands you. The second reason is that Jesus understands the Father. 
So we can trust Jesus when he tells us to fear not because Jesus understands you. All right, we see this right off the bat um, in those first four words of our text. Fear not, little flock. I've already mentioned that the command itself to fear not shows that Jesus understands our experience. Right? He knows that, uh, that sometimes we're afraid and for good reason. All right? we, are, we are little sheep. We're little lambs um, trying to survive in a big world that is full of wolves and cliffs. And we ourselves are prone to wander. There is a, there is a lot that could go wrong in life. And our fear comes from this sense of weakness when we grasp, whether consciously or unconsciously, that we are vulnerable lambs, that we are unable to keep ourselves safe, unable to protect ourselves, whether that's from the opinions of others, from loss, from pain, from our own failure. When we feel our vulnerability, that's when we experience fear. And when Jesus calls you his little flock, he is saying that he understands you. He knows that you are vulnerable. He understands that there is a lot of danger and pain, heartbreak, and sin in the world that you cannot protect yourself from. Jesus knows what hurts you carry and what fears you bring this morning. And so you can trust Jesus when he says, fear not, because right? he understands you. There's incredible comfort in that. You, right, you are known and you are loved by your shepherd. For me personally, there's been those four words, even just fear not little flock, have been a great deal of comfort in recent months. And it honestly, it took me a little while to figure out what it was exactly that was so, so comforting about them. But eventually what I realized is it's, it's not just that Jesus is acknowledging um, our vulnerability and weakness. That's, that's, Definitely part of it. But he's also telling us that before anything else, we have nothing to fear from him. Um, that he understands, Jesus understands our weakness. He understands where we're hurting. And it is precisely in those places where Jesus treats us with the deepest tenderness and compassion. All right, we, and I hope on some level that you take that for granted, right? That Jesus that Jesus is telling us we have nothing to fear from him. But in another sense, when we look at the world around us, we really, we shouldn't take that for granted. Um, right? People are, when, when people are not being cruel, we're often careless um, with each other's feelings and wounds. Um, we, can, we tend to be harsh when we should be soft, or even soft when we need to be firm. Uh, but Jesus here promises that he will be different. He knows where we are hurting. He will draw near to us with tenderness and love because we're his little flock. So we, when Jesus tells us to fear not, we trust him because Jesus understands you. Um, we also see in our text that Jesus understands the Father. He tells us, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God loves to give you good things, okay? Your father, notice he says your father, not just the father, but your father. It's very personal. It's intimate. And it is your father. He loves to give you good things. It is his good pleasure 
right? He's, Jesus says it's his good pleasure, not his obligation, not his begrudging duty, his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Um, I, have, I have three kids, and our oldest is um, going to be four soon. And she is right smack in that stage where as soon as the word no comes out of my mouth, she's on the floor and she's throwing, you know, just screaming. And in those moments, um, one of the things that I have found myself saying over and over again is, do you know that mommy and daddy love you? Do you know that mommy and daddy want good things for you? Um, and reminding her that when, when, when we say no to her, it's because we love her. It's because we think there is something better for her than whatever it is that she's asking for. Your father in heaven wants good things for you. Right? He loves you. He wants good things for you. And what he's promised you is a kingdom. Right? We, we, want, um, we find ourselves fighting over the scraps, but God has promised to give us a kingdom. And, and it doesn't always look the way that we want. Um, so even just take for example here, um, Jesus, he's talking to his disciples, okay? They're on their way to Jerusalem. The disciples' expectation is that they're headed there to conquer. Right? They're with the Messiah, the Messiah who's supposed to destroy all of Israel's enemies. In this case, um, that being the Romans. Um, he's, they're expecting Jesus to come in and, and drive the Romans out and usher in this golden age for Israel, in which Israel will experience prosperity and safety. And the disciples, on top of that, are expecting that they themselves will occupy positions of power and prestige in this new kingdom. So then it must have come as a bit of a shock when Jesus continues here by saying, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Jesus wants his disciples to understand that this kingdom that he's talking about, this kingdom that it is God's good pleasure to give us, does not consist of possessions or money. It is much, much greater than that. And the problem for us is that we are busy fighting over the scraps here on earth while God promises to give us a kingdom. I think C.S. Lewis says it better than anyone when he says that we are like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by a holiday at the sea. But as we're in the midst of life and, and we, we look into the future and we see the possibility of losing something that we care about, um, those things never feel um, like mud pies. It never feels like we're just fighting over the scraps. Whether it's a good job, a good church, spouse, kids, financial security, none of those things feel like scraps. All of those are things where the thought of losing them can cause us to experience fear. Especially as we realize that none of those things are ultimately in our power to protect or preserve um, I met a family recently who, um, they their two-year-old child passed away after contracting um, E. coli. Um, from, and they, what, they, they, what they believe happened is they were playing at a lake, and the child 
um, stepped in or got somehow contracted it from goose feces. Um, and as I, we were, as I was like hearing this story, obviously being incredibly sad, but also just like, okay, now am I ever going to let my, like, how on earth do you, do you plan for something like that? Like, who's supposed to know that your child can contract Ebola while you're just playing at the lake? Um, there's so much in life that we just have no control over. And the next thing that you know, something or someone that you love um, is gone. And that's where fear kicks in, right? Is, is, is how this is like, okay, do I need to be afraid of, of my child contracting E. coli? Um, now, in those moments when we experience fear, when we realize that, that life um, is out of our control, what we want in those moments is for God to step in and tell us that he's going to make sure that things work out, right? That God is going to step in and tell us that our spouse um, will always love and respect us, that our kids will grow into happy, mature, godly adults. Basically, when God tells us not to fear, we want him to follow that up by saying that he's going to work everything out, that he's going to give us the good life, but that's not what God does, right? Because he's working on something that is even greater than that. He has promised us a kingdom. And that kingdom is not of this world. It is not an earthly kingdom. It does not involve earthly riches or earthly pleasure or prestige. Because God's greatest pleasure is not to give you the perfect family, the perfect house. God's greatest pleasure is not to keep you from having to make difficult decisions or to keep you from having to walk down a path that is full of pain. God's greatest pleasure is to give you the kingdom in which we will dwell and reign with him as his children. He does not promise to protect us from pain, loss, trials, whatever. What he promises is that those things will be light and momentary compared to the eternal weight of glory that will be ours. I do not mean to demean the very real pain that we experience or whatever difficult seasons you've been through. I'm not, the point is here is not to demean the making of mud pies. The point is for us to exclaim, what a holiday at the sea God must have in store for us. The Father's heart for you is that you would know the deepest depths of joy as you love him and enjoy his love for you. Jesus can tell us to fear not because he understands that this is the Father's heart for us, for his, for his sheep, for his people. Jesus understands the Father's heart because his mission was to fulfill the Father's desires. He knows that God, our Father, delights to give us the kingdom. And he knows this because that's the very reason that he was on earth, was to give us that kingdom. Even in this moment, as he's teaching his disciples, right? He, we've talked about it before. He's on his way to Jerusalem, where he will not conquer. He will not overthrow the Romans. At least he won't conquer the way that his disciples want him to conquer. And in, from an earthly sense, he will leave his disciples' desires utterly unfulfilled. Right? By every earthly measure, he will only make their lives more difficult. Every, every one of these men that, um, of the 12 that he's talking to will either die or be imprisoned 
or both for the gospel, for Jesus. He's not making their lives easier in the here and now, but he's giving them something better. Jesus will die for them not to give them a mildly better life on earth, but to give them an infinitely better eternity, a kingdom that will never fade. And Jesus' death means the same thing for us this morning. Right? It means Jesus didn't die to take away the possibility of bad things happening. Jesus died for you so that you can experience a day when fear is no more, when there really is nothing worth fearing. And in the meantime, we trust him when he tells us to fear not. And ultimately, the reason that we trust Jesus is because he has already stared down fear. He stared down the fear of the crucifixion. He stared down the fear of the Father's wrath. We see this in Gethsemane as Jesus, um, he is is praying, he is looking to the cross. And what we see in him is fear. Fear of the only thing that is truly worth fearing, God's wrath, that he is going to experience the wrath poured out for sin. He took that wrath onto himself so that instead of wrath, we can receive a kingdom. So that we have nothing to fear. And as we, we look, when we ourselves face, then face fear or hardship, we can look to Jesus. Look to what he went through and know that we are not walking that road of suffering, that road of hardship alone. We walk it with Jesus, who knows um, what is on the other side. He knows that on the other side of this life um, is eternal life with God, a kingdom that will never end. Dane Ortland um, writes that our tendency is to feel intuitively that the more difficult life gets, the more alone we are. As we sink further into pain, we sink further into felt isolation. The Bible corrects us. Our pain never outstrips what Jesus himself shares in. We are never alone. Jesus knows your pain. He knows your fear, your anger, your guilt, because he's experienced it himself. He's a, he has um, borne the full weight of fear He also knows what we tend to forget, what all of life seems to conspire against us so that we would forget. That God delights to give us good things, right? The best things. So fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this promise of of a kingdom that you give to us, your people. Um, we thank you that you have called us as your, as your sheep, as your, as your flock, um, that you, uh, and so you delight in us. You delight to call us your own. And Father, we look forward to the day when, when there really is no more need. Um, there's nothing to fear. And um, Father, in the meantime, we ask that you would help us to trust you, that you would help us to to live lives of courage for you, um, where we, uh, we know that you are good and we live out of that goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.